Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Peter Schiff Show. I'd like to thank True Bill for supporting my podcast. $5 here, 10 bucks there. Monthly subscriptions often feel like a great deal until you forget about them. Get your subscriptions under control with True Bill. Go right now, truebill.com slash gold. It can save you hundreds of dollars a year. Last night, the rumors finally became reality and Russia did in fact officially invade the Ukraine and it sent global markets into turmoil you had selling across the board in the stock market. The Russian stock market hit hardest of all. Many Russian stocks intraday down better than 30%. A couple of the big ones closed down just over 25%. Norris Nickel and Gazprom. But those stocks were well off their lows when they were down by better than 30%. The Russian ruble also hit an all-time low against the U.S. dollar. European markets hit very hard, obviously closely intertwined with Russia, but U.S. stock futures were also weighed down overnight. Some big action early in the oil market. We actually went above $100 a barrel intraday in the price of oil. Gold at one point was almost at 1980 per ounce. It was up about $70 or so per ounce. So a lot of people running into gold, buying oil. U.S. Treasuries also had a big rally, as did the U.S. dollar. Bitcoin, of course, went the other way. It got hammered. Bitcoin was down, I don't know, maybe 6%, something like that. It was trading in the low 34,000s when it was near its lows. But we ended up having major reversals pretty much across the board in all the markets. In fact, all four of the major U.S. stock market averages after opening with heavy losses finished positive on the day. You know, there's an old investor saying, buy on the cannons, sell on the trumpets. And what that means is that when the war starts, that's when you buy. 
because when the war begins, stocks go down and you can get some bargains. And then when the war is over and everybody's excited and they're blowing the trumpets, that's when you sell and you take your profits. And of course, there's another Wall Street adage, buy the rumor, sell the fact. People have been selling off U.S. stocks for over a week based on the rumors of a Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Well, now we actually had the invasion, so it's time to buy back the stocks that you sold. And I think that's what happened today. Taking a look at the Dow Jones, which joined the S&P in correction territory. At one point this morning, the Dow was off 12.7% from its highs, so now officially in correction. But after being down 2.6%, the Dow Jones finished with a 0.3% gain, an even bigger reversal in the S&P 500. That index now down 14.6% from its high on its lows today, so deeper into correction territory. But it reversed a 2.6% intraday decline And it managed to end the day with a 1.5% gain. The Nasdaq Composite and the Russell 2000, as I anticipated last week on my last podcast, both moved into official bear market territory. On the lows this morning, the Nasdaq was down 22% from its highs, so officially entered a bear market. But after being down 3.3% on the lows, The index settled up 3% on the day, so a huge 6.3% intraday swing. Maybe a lot of people think the bear market is over. I kind of doubt it. I think it's just begun. Same thing with the Russell 2000. At its lows today, it was down 23%, but a 2.6% intraday decline turned into a 2.7% gain on the day. But the stocks that had the biggest reversal were the most beaten down, overvalued stocks like the stocks owned by Kathy Wood in the ARK Innovation Fund. In fact, that ETF on the lows this morning was down better than 63% from its high. So it made a new low. It was down about 5.5%, but it finished the day up 7.8%, a 13.3% intraday swing incredible reversal in that ETF. To me, that smells a lot like short covering than new money. Although I do think there are some people that think they're getting a bargain. They're getting stocks for more than half off. But again, they don't realize they're half off inflated prices. Those pie in the sky benchmarks are not real. And thinking you're getting a discount just because you're buying the stock at a price that is less overvalued than it was at one time That's going to result in a lot of investors losing money because they think they're getting a deal, but they're still overpaying. They're just not overpaying as much as some people did in the past. Same type of situation with Bitcoin. It was way down. It reversed. That Grayscale Bitcoin Trust was down six and a quarter percent in the morning, and it finished the day up 3.75%. On its lows this morning, it was down 59%. Just the opposite in gold. As the stock market was recovering its losses, the gold and silver market surrendered its gains. Gold went from up about 70 bucks to down over $5, still managing to close above 1900, 1903. Silver was up better than a buck and it closed down 33 cents. 
So a big reversal there. Same thing in the bond market. You had an initial flight to U.S. Treasuries, and by the end of the day, Treasury bond prices were slightly lower, yields a bit higher. Dollar did hold on to the majority of its gains, but it did close well off the highs. The dollar index, though, still closing above 97 at 97.07. Again, I don't think the dollar is a safe haven. I don't think U.S. Treasuries are safe havens, but a lot of people still have that impression. And so when things like this happen, you still get buying in those assets. In fact, there was a U.S. Treasury auction that went very well today, probably helped by this so-called safe haven buying from the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. But there is nothing about this event that is bullish for stocks. The only reason that stocks finished higher on the day was short covering, maybe some people trying to pick the bottom and think they're getting a good deal. But the fundamentals are actually worse now that we have this hot war in the Ukraine than they were when we just had the rumors that we might have a war. Because the rumors might have been false. Maybe Putin was just posturing. Maybe we weren't going to find ourselves in this situation. But now we know that we are. And the fundamentals for the market are definitely worse today than they were yesterday. And so the market should be going down and it will be going down. And investors seem clueless to the fact that they're basically up on a high wire without a net. And the reason I say this is because in the past, when the market was in a predicament like this, the Fed was always there to come to the rescue. If the market really started to tank, Before it fell too much, the Fed would do something. They would either cut interest rates or launch another quantitative easing program. But the Fed is not able to do that. It's got its arms tied behind its back. It can't cut interest rates because they're already at zero. Rates never lifted off from zero. So how are you going to cut them when you're still at zero? They can't really launch another QE program, at least not now because they're still committed to ending the QE program that's already going on. In fact, we got the numbers on the Fed's balance sheet today, and it rose another $17.1 billion on the week. We're now at a new record, $8.928 trillion for the Fed's balance sheet. But the Fed has committed to end QE. So based on that commitment, how could it turn around on a dime and launch another QE program? It really can't do it yet. So how is the Fed going to stop the stock market from falling? It's not. That is the problem. The PAL put has expired and investors are still acting like it's in play. It's not. I think there's much too much complacency with respect to how much risk there is in the U.S. stock market. On the flip side, it made no sense for the gold market to sell off the way it did. Everything that is happening right now is extremely bullish for gold, yet investors are still reluctant to grasp that reality. And in fact, if you were watching the gold mining stocks today, when gold initially opened higher, and it was only up about 40 bucks by the time the U.S. stock market opened, so it was well off its highs, gold stocks were barely positive. I mean, some of them opened up 1% or 2%, and they were immediately hammered. There was a much bigger rally in silver stocks than gold stocks. But when gold sold off, 
maybe on its low, gold was down about 25 bucks on the day. But a lot of the gold stocks that were only up 1% or 2% when gold was up 40 bucks, those stocks were down 3 and 4% or more when gold was down 25 bucks. So the gold stocks went down a lot more when gold was down than they went up when gold was up. And in fact, when I saw how weak the gold stocks opened based on the gap up in the price of gold, I was pretty sure that we were going to get a reversal because it looked like investors were anticipating that that gold rally was going to sell off. But all of this is short-term noise. Gold made a new high, just like oil made a new high. And by the way, oil sold off. It only closed up about 72 cents on the day. 93.53 or so is where we settled after trading above $100 a barrel. But that is not the high in oil. 1970 or wherever we got to, 1980 is not the high in gold. We just put in new highs. The trend is up and the fundamentals are phenomenal for oil and gold and for a host of other commodities because everything that's happening right now feeds into the bullish story for gold because it simply drives the U.S. economy further into stagflation. Clearly, what's going on is negative for economic growth. There's no question about it. If we have all these sanctions on Russian companies, there are going to be ramifications that are going to go way beyond the Russian borders and global growth is going to slow. In the meantime, prices are going to continue to be pressured, not just for energy, but for all sorts of commodities. They're going to get a lot more expensive. So you're going to have slower growth. You're going to have rising prices. And what is the Fed going to do? Well, first of all, if you look at the interest rate markets, the 50 basis point hike that at one point was, I think, about a 60, maybe 70% probability. So it was the most likely scenario that investors were anticipating. That is pretty much completely off the table. So nobody thinks the Fed is going to hike by 50 basis points in March. So that's gone. They're only going to do 25. And in addition to that, all the talk about, I don't know, 8, 9, 10 rate hikes in 20. 22, well, they're already off the table. So the markets are already anticipating fewer rate hikes than they were anticipating a week ago. So in other words, the Fed has eased policy based on what the markets are anticipating, but inflation hasn't eased. If anything, the inflationary pressures are picking up. So inflation is going to be worse, and that is bullish for gold, and real interest rates are going to be even lower because the Fed is going to take longer to raise them. But the real problem is the Fed may never even get around to raising them at all because what if the markets do collapse between now and March? What if the U.S. economy tips into a recession, which obviously what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine, the effects that it may have on the global economy, the U.S. economy more specifically, and consumer prices, which were already rising before this conflict and which are now going to rise even more. If the economy is teetering on the edge of recession, if the stock market is in a bear market, which clearly we have a whole month to go, we can be in a bear market across the board in the stock market. 
is the Fed really going to start hiking interest rates into a bear market? Because if you go back and look at the previous cycles, we didn't get the bear market until after the Fed had hiked rates several times. The Fed starts hiking rates when we have a bull market. It's almost like the Fed wants the markets to bless the rate hike. So it doesn't actually start hiking rates until it's convinced the markets can handle the hikes. And then what happens is once it basically gets the signal to hike, it starts hiking and it keeps hiking until the markets break. And then when it's a big enough drop, well, the Fed calls it off. Well, they can't do that this time because we went into a bear market, at least in the NASDAQ and the Russell 2000, but we could be in a bear market in the S&P very easily by the March meeting before the first rate hike. The Fed was able to cause a bear market simply by talking about raising rates in the future. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, now what are they going to do? Stop talking about raising rates? Maybe that's going to be monetary policy in the future. If rates are always at zero, what do you do? You can't cut them. And then if you can't raise them, all you can do is talk about raising them. And that's going to constitute tightening. And then when the markets tank, well, then you stop talking about hiking rates. And that's easing. But what they're going to have to do is launch another round of quantitative easing. Because If the markets are tanking and all you do is stop talking about raising rates, but you haven't actually cut rates, is that really going to be enough to reverse a bear market? I don't know. The Fed has never been in this predicament before, but this is the natural consequence of what they've done. Because every time we arrive at a new crisis, we have more and more debt. And that means each time when the Fed tries to normalize rates, It stops at a lower rate because the economy can't handle a rate as high as it could before because it has even more debt. And it looks like at this point, the economy is so levered up with debt, we couldn't handle any hikes at all because the markets broke simply on the talk of future rate hikes. So by the time the Fed actually gets around to doing what it talked about doing, we're already in a bear market and the Fed is already in the position where it would normally start cutting rates and it hasn't even raised them. But any way you look at that, even if the Fed does get around to hiking rates, but there are fewer rate hikes than the markets have anticipated and the Fed has to reverse course sooner than the markets had anticipate, all of this is extremely bullish for gold. 
those subscriptions really add up. And sometimes we don't even notice the monthly deductions from our bank accounts. That's where Truebill comes in. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you no longer need or simply forgot you had. On average, people are saving thousands of dollars a year using Truebill. See all your subscriptions in one place, keep the ones you want, cancel the ones you don't. And you can do it all right from the app. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to help you cancel those unwatered subscriptions so you don't have to do it yourself. No talking to humans, no difficult conversations, they do it all. Truebill has over 2 million users and it's helped them save over $100 million. Like Becca L, who said, hands down, this is the best financial app I've discovered. In my first week, I opened up 187 in unused recurring subscriptions. Now I'm obsessed. I never want to manage finances again without my Truebill. In fact, what I like best about Truebill is it helps me keep track of my wife's spending. Because every time she buys something big, I immediately get a notification that she bought it. And hopefully, since she knows I'm looking over her shoulders, maybe it'll save me a little money because she may just spend a little bit less money. So start canceling your unused subscriptions now at Truebill.com gold. Go right now, Truebill.com gold. It can save you hundreds a year. And if you're married, it might save you thousands. The catalyst for the reversal in the markets, I think, was the Joe Biden press conference. And everything about that press conference was bullish for gold, even though gold was selling off as a result of the press conference. And what ended up happening is that traders were buying stocks instead of gold. Now, Biden used that press conference to pretty much brag about all the damage that was being done to the Russian economy as a result of these sanctions, severe economic sanctions that were meant to cripple the Russian economy and basically bring Putin to his knees. Biden bragged about the collapse in the Russian stock market and in the record low of the Russian ruble and the irony of all this is that Biden doesn't appreciate the degree to which the U.S. is vulnerable to the same type of economic sanctions. Because if you took a country like China, if China wanted to bring Biden to its knees, it could. All China has to do is start dumping U.S. treasuries. All China has to do is sanction the U.S. What if China prevents Chinese companies from exporting their products to the United States? We are in a very vulnerable position. We're the ones that are borrowing money from the rest of the world. We're the ones that are relying on the rest of the world for the goods that we consume. So we're actually in an even more vulnerable position than is Russia. We just don't know it yet. And in fact, if I was China right now, with the Russian ruble at record lows and with U.S. treasuries where they are and this big rally in the dollar, given this huge stockpile of U.S. treasuries and dollars that the Chinese own, I would be using those overpriced dollars. I would be taking advantage of the rally in the bond market and selling, and I would be using that money to buy up a lot of these cheap Russian stocks because they're not going to stay down there. These are real companies with real resources that the Chinese need. What they don't need is a pile of U.S. IOUs. They don't need our paper. They're much better off buying Russian resources than U.S. IOUs, and that's probably going to be happening. But I think what the markets 
probably rallied on was the fact that Biden didn't indicate that anything else was going to happen to Russia other than these sanctions. Like, this is it. I mean, we're done. We put these sanctions on and Biden expects them to really hurt the Russian economy. And we're going to wait for a month and see what happens. And in that Q&A, somebody asked them about these sanctions and why they didn't prevent Putin from invading the Ukraine. And Biden said, well, we all knew the sanctions wouldn't do that. We all knew that they wouldn't have any effect on Putin's decisions, that he was going to invade anyway. We just put the sanctions on and now we have more. And we just want to make sure he pays a heavy price for the invasion. In other words, we knew it was going to happen. We knew we couldn't stop it. But we just want to make sure that the Russian economy experiences some pain as a result of this decision. But that's it. That's all that's going to happen. This is not World War III. This is just these crippling economic sanctions on Russia. And Biden admitted that there will be an impact on the U.S. economy. But then he reassured everybody that was listening that he is going to protect the American people from personally feeling that impact, that somehow the Biden administration is going to protect consumers from higher gas prices. The Biden administration is going to make sure that oil companies don't take advantage of the situation by raising prices. How's he going to do that? He said he's going to do all that he can to limit pain at the gas pumps. Well, to me, that sounds like he's thinking of some kind of price controls, maybe a windfall profit tax on the oil companies. I mean, think about this. Oil companies need to raise their prices. How can they not raise their prices when the global oil price is going up? If U.S. oil companies can't raise the prices they're selling oil to Americans, they'll just sell the oil in Europe or Asia instead. I mean, if they can get more money there and they're not allowed to raise their prices over here, I mean, we're just going to have shortages. Plus, oil companies, when the price of oil is high, you need oil companies to make a profit so they can take that profit and invest in more production so you get more oil. If you limit their ability to do that, if you tell oil companies not to take advantage of high oil prices to make a profit, well, those oil prices are never going away. You need oil companies to make profits when oil prices are high. Otherwise, they're going to stay high. In fact, they're going to go even higher, and U.S. oil companies will be at a competitive disadvantage. But also, as I said in a prior podcast, when oil prices are going up, you want consumers to reduce their consumption because there's not enough oil. So higher prices is what accomplishes that. The price of oil goes up, and so people who don't really need as much oil buy less oil. People try to economize. But if you don't have the big increase in the price of oil, then consumers don't alter their behavior. They don't react to higher oil prices by buying less oil. They keep buying the same amount of oil, but the problem is there's not enough of it. So you end up exacerbating the problem. So everything that Biden is suggesting the U.S. government is going to do to try to protect Americans from higher prices is going to backfire. What Biden should be telling the American public is the truth. Look, there are going to be consequences for America for these actions. And we think the consequences are worth it. The cost is worth the benefit. And that means we're all going to have to pay higher gas prices. And if the U.S. government wants to find a way to subsidize 
the cost of gasoline, then it needs to increase the cost of something else, or it needs to increase taxes on some part of the economy in order to offset the impact of oil prices on the other. But again, that is not the best economic policy. If you're creating an oil shortage, the best thing you can do for the economy is to allow the price of oil to go up so that we consume less oil at a time when oil supplies are short. What else is Biden talking about doing? Let's sell some more oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, right? And eventually that Strategic Petroleum Reserve is gonna be completely empty. And then what do we do? We sell our oil. It's not a real crisis yet. We're not at war. We are imposing sanctions on our own. So there's no reason again to tap into that Strategic Petroleum Reserve other than political, because of course the midterm elections are coming up in November and we don't want people driving to the polls and then getting mad at how expensive gas was and how much it cost to get there. So Biden wants to do something. And so, yeah, you can temporarily push down the price when you hit the market with a bunch of supply, but that's very short-sighted. Now, also during that press conference, Biden did not say that they were going to sanction Russia by removing it from the SWIFT system. In fact, he indicated that the reason that that wasn't going to happen was that the Europeans were not on board. So clearly there is some dissent in the ranks. Probably the Biden administration did want to take Russian banks out of the SWIFT system so they wouldn't be able to transact. But the rest of Europe did not want to do that. And so the U.S. had to cave into European demands, which I think the markets liked because this indicated that there was some resistance to even more severe sanctions. You know, probably the worst thing that the Biden administration could do would be to somehow restrict the ability of Americans to buy Russian stocks. Maybe say Americans can't buy Russian stocks or worse, force Americans to divest themselves of Russian stocks. I mean, I hate it when the U.S. government does this. They did it with some Chinese stocks. Americans were forced to sell stocks that they own. Certain ADRs were forced to delist. And who are the losers there? It's the Americans that lose, not the foreigners. Let's say the Biden administration wanted to punish Russia. And they said, we're going to punish Russia by forcing Americans to sell their Russian stocks because obviously that would cause those stocks to go down in price. But it doesn't do anything to hurt the underlying company. All it hurts is the American investors who are forced to sell out of a good company at a low price. And it actually benefits investors in Russia or investors in other countries who get the opportunity to buy these stocks at a discount. Because if you force Americans in a short window to dump their stock, they're not going to get a good price. I mean, the market's going to sense a forced sale. And so the bids are going to go away. The market's going to tank. And the American owners of these companies get ripped off. They're forced to sell an asset for way below what it's worth. And now some Russian citizens get to scoop up these bargains because of these forced sales. So it never hurts the American investors, when you force those investors to sell their stocks for pennies on the dollar, it benefits the other people, the foreigners who get to buy those stocks for pennies on the dollar. So hopefully it doesn't come to that. And I think based on this press conference, it doesn't look like it will. What I think was the catalyst for that rally was the idea, well, this is it. This is as bad as it's going to get. 
And Biden was like, let's sit back for a month and let's see what happens. But I don't expect the markets to rally for the next month. I don't think this rally is going to last very long because what's happening right now, as I said earlier, is clearly a problem for the markets. And so if the markets were in trouble before the Russians invaded the Ukraine, the markets are even bigger trouble now. But the biggest problem of them all, again, remains the situation that the U.S. economy is in, the situation that the Fed is in. It's staring at a recession and a bear market with none of its dry powder. None of the arrows that are normally ready in its quiver are available. You don't have the ability to cut rates. You don't have the ability to do QE. But they'll do it because what else are they going to do? But again, the only reason that QE appeared to work, the only reason that rate cuts appeared to work was because the Fed was able to justify its actions based on inflation being too low. That was the only cover. It was only under that cover that the Fed was able to operate this type of monetary policy. But now that the official inflation rate is so far above 2%, and now that inflation is actually public enemy number one again, I mean, it is the biggest problem on everybody's mind. It's all anybody is talking about is inflation. And so when inflation is clearly the problem, you can't justify this reckless monetary policy on the basis of, well, it's okay because we don't have any inflation anyway. So even if the policy results in a higher inflation rate, well, hey, that's a good thing because it might help us get closer to our objective. But if your objective is to have lower inflation because you're way above your so-called target, what is the justification for this policy? Now, there are a lot of people that are saying, well, the Fed is just going to have to accept a higher degree of inflation Well, it's not just going to be a little bit more inflation. They're going to have to accept dramatically more inflation. And what are the ramifications of that? Because if investors figure out that because of the predicament that we're in, because rates can't really go up because of the enormity of the debt, and because the next recession is going to begin with inflation substantially above 2%, that the rate of inflation is going to go substantially higher. And once investors accept the idea that high inflation is permanent, it's here to stay, that we're never going to see sub 2% inflation again, and that we're going to have inflation when the economy is expanding, and we're going to have inflation when the economy is contracting, we're going to have high inflation throughout the entire business cycle. Maybe there'll be more inflation when the economy is growing and less inflation when it's in recession. In fact, I actually think it may be the opposite. I think we might even have higher inflation during times where the economy is contracting than we have when it's expanding. And in fact, based on where we are right now, it may never expand. If you actually use honest inflation numbers, we may have a contraction permanently. In real terms, the U.S. economy will continue to get smaller and smaller and smaller because even though the GDP might go up, the real rate of inflation will be going up even faster and that won't be discounted into the GDP numbers 
because the deflator won't fully capture the impact of inflation on the U.S. economy. But the only reason that investors are willing to hold U.S. dollars is because they believed that the Fed was going to keep inflation below 2%. The reason that people are willing to buy a 10-year treasury at 1.97% is because they believe the U.S. government is going to keep inflation at around 2% over the next 10 years. But once they accept that that's not going to happen, that 2% inflation is just a memory, not a reality, that the real inflation rate will be double, triple, or quadruple that, nobody is going to hold on to U.S. Treasuries. Nobody is going to hold on to U.S. dollars. When people realize that the Fed has no ability to ever normalize interest rates, that interest rates will never again be real, there will never be a positive return on holding U.S. dollar-denominated debt, there is no reason to hold it. And so when the Fed tries to save the economy the next time, and it will, the only question is how long will it wait before it does? But at some point, the Fed is going to come in. The Fed is going to have to either call off the rate hikes before they happen or reverse the hikes shortly after they begin. The Fed is going to have to reverse course on QE, meaning if it ever starts quantitative tightening, it's going to have to stop and maybe it never starts, but it's going to have to go back to another round of quantitative easing. In fact, if the Biden administration wants to kind of spare the economy the consequences of these sanctions and the blowback that may result from these sanctions, the only way they're going to do it is by running larger deficits. And the only way they're going to be able to run larger deficits without a material impact on interest rates, which might hurt the U.S. economy even more than rising gas prices, would be for the Federal Reserve to monetize it, which means they have to do more QE, not less QE. But when the Fed comes back, That's when this game ends. That's when the bottom drops out of the dollar. That's when gold blows through the ceiling and the entire house of cards comes tumbling down. Investors are going to perceive for the first time what they should have understood years and years ago, that nothing that can't go on forever will go on forever. Trees don't go out of the sky. You can't keep borrowing money indefinitely. You can't keep running up these interest rates. You can only do it so long as your creditors don't understand the situation. But when they do, the markets are going to make a major adjustment. You're going to have a significant repricing of assets, of currencies, and you need to be on the right side of that rotation. And you can already see the beginnings of that. And yes, today we finally saw a sell-off in some of the value stocks and the dividend-paying stocks. Even some of the oil stocks were down today. In fact, a couple of the stocks that we own, British Petroleum Total, they were down about 5.5% on the day, even though the price of oil was up. And I think part of the problem there is they have some investments in Russia, and it's those Russian investments that got investors nervous. So you saw a lot of the value stocks that had been rising all year as the momentum stocks were going down. 
those stocks were down today. And a lot of other good solid dividend paying stocks were down on the day as investors were scooping up the bargains that they thought were there in these beaten down tech stocks. But the real trend in value and dividend paying stocks is up. And the real trend now in these momentum stocks is down. But those trends are going to accelerate when the Fed blinks. And when it does, the dollar is going to get killed. And, you know, Joe Biden was so happy today when he was talking about the record low in the Russian ruble, right? Well, there is where Biden needs to be a little bit more humble in pointing that out because the U.S. dollar is going to be looking a lot like the ruble. We're going to be in a very vulnerable position once we have to do the about face on rates. What Biden just doesn't understand is there but for the grace of China goes the dollar. And maybe not just China. There are a lot of other countries that are holding a significant number of dollars and U.S. treasuries on their balance sheets. But we are in a very vulnerable position. And I'm sure that when Putin is hearing Biden do a victory lap regarding the weakness in the Russian ruble, it likely infuriates Putin. And by the way, Putin has been accumulating a lot of gold. They have been moving out of U.S. treasuries. They've been moving into gold. And the decline in the ruble is only temporary. It's not going to stay down. It may be down temporarily due to these factors. But I think Biden is doing a premature victory dance with respect to winning this economic Cold War with Russia. In fact, another thing that Biden said during the press conference that likely emboldened the bulls and caused them to buy was Biden's assurance that this whole thing won't last long, that it will all be over quickly as long as the allies remain resolved, Putin is going to cave. Well, you know, I think Biden may be underestimating Putin's resolve. After all, he knew these sanctions were coming and he went into the Ukraine anyway. And I don't think he went in just to turn tail and run. I think he's prepared to dig in. I think he's got a game plan. And I think he could stick it out a lot longer than Biden believes, especially when you think about the politics, because Putin's not worried about the midterm elections. Putin is not worried about the popularity polls. Biden is already low in the polls. The economy is a mess. This is going to make it worse. Inflation's a huge problem. This is going to exacerbate it. Maybe Putin thinks that he can outlast Biden, that there's more resolution in Russia than there is in the United States. And so this whole thing could last a lot longer than Biden is bargaining for. And therefore, the damage to the U.S. economy and the U.S. stock market could be far greater than he believes. In fact, during his press conference, Biden claimed that Putin's real goal was to recreate the Soviet Union. And I don't think that's Putin's goal at all. As I said in my earlier podcast, I do think he's concerned about the Ukraine becoming a part of NATO. And I think he wants to make sure that doesn't happen. But I don't think he's trying to rebuild the Soviet Union. But I do think he may be trying to topple our union. I think that might be something that is in his mind, looking at the way we shove our weight around, looking at the way the United States abuses 
the role of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency, despite the fact that the U.S. dollar doesn't deserve to be the world's reserve currency, given the enormous imbalances we have with our budget deficits and our trade deficits. Once upon a time, sure, we deserved that status because we had enormous trade surpluses. We had a fiscally solvent economy. We were a real country producing real goods with enormous surpluses. We were the world's wealthiest creditor nation, but we no longer have any of the characteristics that led to the world accepting the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency, yet we continue to exploit that for our own benefit, even though we don't do any of the things that would be necessary to earn that honor. And I think that infuriates Putin and probably a lot of other people around the world who resent the use of American power. And as an American, I'm certainly not happy about the vulnerable position our country is in based on how we've decimated the underlying economic base of our economy and how we've turned this once great creditor nation into the world's largest debtor where we're dependent on the rest of the world but then have the arrogance to try to push the world around. I think we're in a very difficult position, and I think the day of reckoning is near. So I would continue to take advantage. We had some nice sell-offs in some good companies today. We had a rally in the dollar, which makes the U.S. dollar price of those companies even better. And we may have a little bit more downside in some of these global stocks, but I expect the uptrends in value and dividend paying stocks to continue, the downtrends in momentum stocks to continue. But more importantly, we are close to a breakout in gold. Yep, we had a trial run yesterday. We knocked on the door 2000, didn't quite get through. The next time we get up there, we may take it by storm. Whoever was selling their gold stocks today is going to regret it. The smart money is buying. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the selling in gold and metal in the futures contract early on was specifically done to drive gold stock prices down so that the big money would be able to scoop up more gold stocks before the huge move up. Because looking at these charts, looking at these fundamentals, it's really hard to imagine a better environment for gold to shine. Thank you.